Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. I'm glad you're able to join me today. Any day we can move and groove and dance is a good day. My football coach used to say, uh, sunshine and birds are singing. It's a beautiful day for football. And every time I go outside and, and I hear the birds and I see the sun, I, I hear his voice, sunshine and birds singing. It's a beautiful day for football. Uh, shout out to Coach Scott Pethel. I think, I don't know if he's still out there in Muncie, Indiana, but the Ball State Cards, my uh, college football team, they won the bowl. Uh, they won their bowl this year. So uh, congratulations to them. My Bears lost. I'm very sad about that. Uh, but it's not about me. It's about you. It's about us. It's about us. We're all in this together. And uh, we can ce- we got to celebrate the wins wherever we can get them, whether it's our personal win or a team win or country or community, neighbor next door. we got high fives for everybody whenever. That's what I love about kids. Kids will just high five you. They don't, they don't even know you. They don't know what school you went to or what your GPA was. They just give you a little boop, a little high five. They give you a little hi, mister. And it just, it's enough, it's enough to make your day. So here's a high five to all the listeners out there, to all you, wherever you are in the world, whether you're in uh, Europe or Spain or the Middle East or South America, Canada or Texas, wherever you are. That was kind of stereotypical because I've been in Texas. Not everybody sounds like that. That's a horrible, horrible Texas accent, Leo Flowers. Uh, today's guest is Sarah Stanizai, who is the uh, who is a marriage and family therapist and the owner of Prospect Therapy, uh, which is a queer and trans affirming therapy practice with a special emphasis on first generation immigrants and bicultural communities. As as you know, I'm first generation immigrant, and I come from a bicultural community for sure. So I'm super excited uh, to talk to Sarah about all the things bicultural and also first generation. But we really delve into how to resolve conflict in, um, in relationships. We get into how if you are part of the, the, the LGBTQIAPK, I'm always impressed with myself when I can, I can get all the letters. I'm just I'm praying they don't start adding numbers and symbols um, but, uh, if you're part of, and, and so the, the issues that come up, uh, with that and, and recognizing that just because you're part of that community or whatever community you're a part of doesn't mean that all your issues are rooted in being a part of that community or culture. We have universal themes and issues and problems, things that we are all going through regardless of, uh, the community that we come from. And then we also talk about acceptance and competence and why that is so important in a relationship. And for the black sheep out there, the the first generation immigrants, we talk about the issues that come up with that and, and how to resolve that, right? If you're struggling with conflict resolution or learning how to communicate effectively or set boundaries, oh, we also talk about setting boundaries in this podcast. Um, Go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together. With that said, 
let's jump into the episode. Um, I was just talking to, I had uh, my, my last podcast episode, it was interesting what, um, uh, as Abraham Lincoln says, un, 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 unmans people, because he talks about feeling unmanned sometimes when he thought about not making it. And uh, for a lot of people, it's relationships. You know, uh, my previous guest, Brandy, was talking about how when she had chemo, she would fight through all of it. And but then when a, when a breakup happened, she just wanted to undo all the work that she had put into fighting through chemo. So it's so fascinating how. Yeah, uh, everybody has something that just takes them back to zero. Right. I like that. Takes them back to zero. Oh, I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Um, We're recording, right? You got that. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see. Let Yo, me save yeah. the good stuff. Yeah, yeah, we got we were recording. Uh, now, how do you say your your last name? Uh, it's Sarah Stanazai, like stand aside. Okay, Stanazai, Sarah Stanazai. I'm here with Sarah Stanazai, who is a, a marriage and family therapist in Long Beach. Uh, and you have like your credits are too long for me to name everything. All your all oh, you your... saw those? Yeah, there's yeah, plenty yeah, of them. yeah, 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 yeah. You, you racked up some points there. You, you, you got like the the platinum medals and everything. So I tried. Yeah, and uh, you know, I had to look up. You know, I'm not because I'm not super woke yet. I had to look up cisgender because uh, I was like, mm-hmm. all right, I would just I gotta get these 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 gender. Mm-hmm. What did you learn? Um, uh, so cisgender, uh is when you're when you identify with what your birth uh, uh yeah with the gender you were assigned at birth with basically. the with the gender you're assigned at birth or even before birth sometimes we love those gender reveals just kidding we hate them they're stupid but yeah <laughs> wait why don't we like uh the gender reveals talk to me have you ever watched a gender reveal it's so ridiculous like you don't know who your kid is gonna be like why are we so quick to like put these kids into this box and then people live in those boxes and then it messes with you? Even if you are cisgender or not, like those boxes hurt us. The, the boxes. It's just like, Go ahead. it's just a gender, just like so many other boxes and there's so many roles and stereotypes and expectations that people have to live up to. And it, to me, I just look at parents doing that. Like they're celebrating like, Yay, we're limiting our kid. Everybody celebrate. I'm like, that's kind of messed up. That's like, what if you had a reveal of like, hey, everybody, our kid is going to be a doctor. It's like super weird, right? <laughs> like, or what if you're like, our kid is going to be a stand-up comic and live with us until they're 30. Like, if you put any other thing into that and you celebrate or you reveal or you decide for your kid, like, it starts to be really weird. and. So, plus, I just love hate watching the gender reveal fails on YouTube. So I'm sorry. Oh my Does god, there are fails. Like what? Happens? Oh yeah. <laughs> like how do you not know what the kid like? The, so no, the, that means like the doctor got it wrong or what? No, it just means like they'll think of just more and more creative ways to quote like reveal it. So you pop the balloon, and if pink comes out, it's a girl. It's ridiculous. But then, like. Somebody accidentally let's go in the balloon. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite one I saw recently was there's a big family gathering and they revealed 
that it was going to be a girl and everybody's like, yay. And then you see grandma just like, boo, like thumbs down. Camera zoomed in on grandma was not happy that it was going to be a girl. Like, oh my God, grandma, what did they do to you? What, who hurt you? But actually probably a lot of people. So I don't that know. Is... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Grandma, grandma went through a, like, we, we been... think we went through a tough time. Grandma really saw some things. Yeah. Like what has to happen for grandma to find out that she's going to have a granddaughter and then be like, boo, like just openly. I felt bad, but it was really funny. Uh, that is hilarious. And I'm sure it's even worse with the Zooms because people think they're uh, they're muted or the video's not on. And so they, they say whatever <laughs> they... Now, then she they say what they really want to say. And they she don't wanted realize. people to know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad we started off there because, you know, one of the things when I was reading your, your bio that you... Because, you know, you help people who are um, dealing with... Uh, uh, transgender or anybody in the LGBTQIAPK community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that you mentioned was that don't be under the illusion that your uh, sexual orientation will solve all of your issues. Like, like coming to like, uh, like the, the big reveal, I forget how you said it, but it was basically, it was like uh, attributing, Oh, attributing all of your issues to your your gender identity or sexual orientation and and i think that's important because i think a lot of times people do think that once they come out or or or, uh reveal themselves that all the issues they were dealing with will fall to the the wayside and they're finding out that things are just getting started could you can you elaborate on that and and how like that's not tied to your Well, what I mean when I say that is, um, first of all, it's myself and our team. So we have a few therapists who work for me and, um, you know, we're all part of the queer community. And what I mean when I say that is a lot of times people come to us just because we have this experience, we have lived experience. And also these are the clients that we specialize in working with, um, But that just means like we are affirming and we're familiar with it and that we take a different approach to people in this community. Um, It doesn't mean that we automatically assume and most of the people who come to us are actually like, I figured this part out. Like, this is not what I need help with. I really need to talk about my relationship or I'm feeling unsatisfied at work or I'm hella depressed and I can't get out of bed. So I'm glad this appointment is on video. Um, But having someone who understands that this is just part of your identity and your experience. Um, We're not going to pathologize it and say like, well, you're not satisfied in your relationships because you didn't come out to your mom. Like that's not a thing. Um, And it might be, but we're not going to assume that it is. Um, And on the flip side, or it's not even really the flip side, but in addition to that, um, some people are in the midst of exploring their gender or their sexuality, or they've had feelings or experiences where they're like, I don't know what this means. And we help people, you know, it can mean what you decide for it to mean. It doesn't like we are helping people define themselves rather than trying to live up to other people's definitions. Or if I did this, then everybody's going to think this. So I guess that's who I am. And we just help people define themselves um, and explore that part of themselves if it's something they're doing. Um, but if it's not, then at least we um, 
have that affirming stance, meaning we're not going to pathologize it. We're not going to boil everything down to this. We're not going to blame everything on that. Um, so they can really get that out of the way and actually come to therapy for what they want to work on. Does that make sense? It absolutely makes sense. I was just having a conversation with Michelle, my girlfriend, about how a lot of books try to whittle people's issues down to one thing. Like uh, there's a book called Grit. Like if you just had more grit, then you'd be fine. Or a book on vulnerability or, and so to me, it sounds like the same thing with like, everything isn't whittled down to your your sexual orientation. It's not Mm -hmm. just about this one thing. It's a whole host of things. It sounds like that's what you're you're saying. Yeah, and that's the same way we approach a lot of things. Um, one of the other uh, communities that we focus on is the bicultural community, which includes a lot of first-gen immigrants, people of color, people who um, in one way or another belong to more than one culture. Sometimes people who are transracially adopted. Um, there's all kinds of ways. A lot of um, people who are mixed ethnicity or are not, but you know, may present as some other ethnicity than they are. Um, People really don't realize like how much of an impact that can have on your experience in the world. And when people see you one way, but you feel another, uh, there's so many, there's so much extra steps you have to take to explain that to people. And you don't want to do that with your therapist. Um, And people tell us, um, like, I didn't realize how much of that I was doing until I came here and saw somebody who maybe not necessarily has the same identity or experience as me, but just knows how to talk about that in general and how to think about it. Um, and it wasn't until I came and saw you that I realized how much of that I was doing because I didn't have to do that with you because you just get it. And when I say, you know, my family's from Afghanistan, I get a lot of clients who are South Asian or East Asian or even Latinx people who come and say, well, you know, my last three therapists just said, you have to set better boundaries with your mom. And they're like, no, you don't know. Like you can't just do that in my family. And the therapist will say you're codependent or you're a narcissist or, you know, throw all these therapy awards around, which may or may not be true, but they just automatically went there and people, that doesn't, that doesn't um, encompass their whole experience. And so to whittle it down to one thing and say, well, you just have to separate from your culture. Like that's really painful for people and they're not going to just turn their back on their families just because <clears throat> like Dr. Nancy told them to. Right. And and for the listeners out there, because this will go up most of this audio, uh, what do you identify as culturally? Uh, my family is from Afghanistan. I was born here in LA. Um, I'm racialized pretty white, um, but I'm really reclaiming my Asian heritage. Um, I'm a bisexual person. I'm cisgender. Um, you know, I grew up middle class, working class. I'm here. I did go to private school. I went to college. So, I mean, I have so many layers of um, privileges afforded to me, but on the same time, there's also a lot of erasure that happens. And so, you know, for example, people, it's really funny. uh, A lot of people of color look at me and see me as a white lady, but white people do not see me as a white lady. And so (laughs) I do get lots of Uh, privilege on one hand but also there's a lot of erasure that happens and I constantly have to um, you know point out that I'm part of the queer community I have to point out that I'm part of these other cultures Um, otherwise you know that part of me is erased and that's kind of 
that's happening on a large scale everywhere. So I think it's really important for people to claim their identities, but you don't have to be defined by it. But so it's, it's very nuanced, but I think when people can, I talk a lot about that imposter syndrome and how I'm not blank enough, like I'm not queer enough, or I'm not, you know, whatever part of their identity is being erased. When other people start to erase it, then you start to erase it. And then you don't know how to, uh, define yourself and it can start to impact other parts of your life i could talk about this for a very long time so you just stop me or you ask me anything uh, i'm, you I'm know not gonna it. stop you because you know it's I, because this is you know it's it's about your experience in your in your um in your story and in, in your knowledge and uh you know even though i grew up um first you know generation my mom's from belize my dad's from alabama i went to a private school and I grew up in a very multicultural area. So I, I completely uh, mm-hmm. understand from that level and that feeling of inadequacy, like I'm not black enough, you know, for the black kids and I'm not Belizean mm-hmm. enough for Belize. And so th- that feeling. And then I went to a Catholic school. I wasn't even Catholic. I wasn't Catholic at all. So it wasn't even about enough. Oh, wow. I wasn't at all Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to, to, to grow up and then to learn how to just navigate those different areas um so i tell people I always felt accepted but never a part of that you know and that's just yes. my whole story yeah. i tell people that like a lot of people are hesitant or they'll say well why do i have to broadcast this and that is to me that just really sounds a lot of internalized messaging that other people say like well, why do I, I don't see color or why do we have to have a parade or why do I need to care what your pronouns are? It's like, okay, well, if other people are saying that to me all the time, I'm going to start to think it too. And then as you, you know, go through life, then you start second guessing other things and you start questioning yourself. Well, maybe I shouldn't go for that promotion or like, who am I to ask for this in my relationships? And people don't realize how those two things can be connected. They'll say, you know, who cares if I, for you, for example, you're like, okay, so I went to Catholic school. You're going to tell me that that makes me like not want to ask for things in my relationship. Uh, and I'm not trying to put you on blast. I don't know you that well, <laughs> but, but you can see how um, when the world doesn't see you the way you see yourself, how that can start to make you question things. You're like, oh, well, is this, maybe they're right. Like, well, I don't, I don't know this about myself and that can seep into other parts of your life as well. So um, that's something I think that a lot of people in the queer community and also in the first gen community, um, that's like one way that we overlap and, you know, help you if you're part of both of those communities, because then it's like doubling down on it. Um, So we really help people, like I said, um, that's like my passion. And that is what I keep in mind when I hire people to join us. And that's something that we help our clients with. And sometimes we help them with that by just understanding that. So we actually don't even need to talk about it and we can get to work on the other stuff. Yeah. You know, imposter syndrome, I think is something that comes up for a lot of people, uh, whether you're first gen, third gen, Mm -hmm. um, gay, straight, what, when we talk about imposter syndrome, is there usually uh, a similar root um, cause of that? And, and if there is or isn't, how do we start to unpack that or manage that feeling of uh, being an imposter? 
Yeah. Um, well, it's important to know imposter syndrome isn't like an actual syndrome. It's not an actual diagnosis that you can have. Um, but it is like this cluster of experiences and then related, uh, I don't even want to say symptoms, but just like related uh, thoughts and feelings that you might have. Um, and it's really interesting because almost counterintuitively, like the more successful or together someone appears to be, the more likely they are to actually have that. Um, some of the most successful people um, you know, we'll say like, oh, I just got lucky or, you know, it was a team effort. It wasn't just me. And that's true for everybody. But also people have a hard time internalizing the evidence of their success. And so even if you check every box and, um, you know, you can sit down and make a list of all the things that you're proud of about yourself, you know, even if there's not that much on that list, your therapist will help you find it. But you can make that list and sit and give a reason why, like, it doesn't count or yes, I accomplished this, but people don't realize how hard it was for me. So it doesn't really count. And so it's this phenomenon of you can look at all the evidence and you won't internalize it. And so you can see how even people with more evidence <clears throat> would still feel like, oh, well, I don't really deserve this. I'm not actually successful. And they'll have some excuses as to why. Yeah, because, you know, society on one hand wants us to be a success and achieve and, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. And on the other hand, they want you to uh, be humble about it. You know, like it's hard to be oh humble if I won a Super Bowl championship or, you, you yes. know, uh, the first person to uh, cross the, the Atlantic Ocean by hot air balloon. But it's it, so it's. Oh, it's that a, was you? I read about yeah, that. Yeah, that was I'm me. Just yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> So we're getting these contradictory messages of be a success, shine, uh, don't let anybody dim your light. And on the other hand, is like, all right, don't be too full of yourself. It's like, is there, what's the balance there? Yeah. And you can imagine how if somebody your whole life, if people have been saying, no, you're not, or you're not enough, that you can see how that would start to trickle into all these other things that have nothing to do with where you're from or you know anything about who you are if I've heard that enough in my life, like you're not really that, or, you know, stop trying to pretend that would make me question all kinds of other things. And I have, um, you know, I have my colleagues and friends and we, you know, mastermind together and we handle business together. And it's just a nice, uh, accountability group that I have. And the people who get to be in that group with me are the people who want to hear the good news. And that's one of the first things I'll often say, my friends will laugh when they hear this because, um, people don't want to hear about it when you're doing well and that's their own stuff. And if I was going to, if I was looking for a way to discount myself or to say like, Oh yeah, actually you're right. Like this doesn't count or I didn't do this on my own. Like I would buy into that. So one of my criteria for people who get to be in my life is I want to hear your good news and you're going to hear mine. And I make sure like how people react to that, if they're encouraging or, you know, if they're supportive, then those are the people who end up being in my circle. Right. It, it, it's people who can hear the good and the, and the, I, 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 for me, I like to, I guess good and bad works. I try to use the word effective or ineffective because I, I, I've yeah. all the stuff that I read is like, well, good and bad are a judgment. And I'm like, all right, is that the Catholic guilt speaking or uh, no, that's fair. It's exhausting. <laughs> it's exhausting yeah. trying to do all the, the psychotherapy on yourself. And, and, oh my God. Yes. I do not recommend it. 
But that's true. That's why I, you're right, because that's why I, I want people who are going to be receptive to the good, because those are the people I trust more when they do call me out. And they do say, you know what, I'm a big fan. Like, these are all things you're doing well, but like, stop being weird. Like, what is this about? Are you sure this is working? And when they do call me out, then I trust them more because I know I've seen them do the other things. So I know that if they call me out, they actually mean it. Um, and so you, I always say like, you can't have one without the other. And this is an example of that. Like, I'm not, I don't mean everybody in my life is constantly telling me how awesome I am, even though I am, but those are the people I trust. I trust their opinion when they say like, I don't know if this is working. Um, I'm not going to just assume that, you know? Absolutely. And I, I would love to dig a little deeper into uh, relationship conflict because uh, my yes. girlfriend, she works at a suicide prevention hotline. And mm-hmm. most of the phone calls are about relationships. I mean, this is why a lot of people are calling these hotlines. I actually, most of it is relationships. And then uh, the c- coming in second are grades um, because it's a lot of like teenagers calling in. But to, to talk about relationship conflict, because it's not just the one-on-one. It's not just with you and your spouse or your partner, your significant other. This is also a, a, about how to talk to your boss, your colleagues, your employees. Like if you have a relationship conflict in one relationship, then mm-hmm. you probably have it in all relationships. And I, I've read scripts on how to de-escalate. That's, so I grew up in a single parent home. And I realized growing up in a single parent home, I never got to see conflict resolution between two mm-hmm. adults. So my mom was either pissed or she was cool. And then I, so I never got to see her work out how she got from, how she got to cool, you know, where, where like mm-hmm. you see two people, you can hear them talking about it. Can you talk to us about why we struggle with uh, resolving conflict? And is there a healthy conflict in a relationship? Absolutely. There's healthy conflict. I think conflict can definitely be constructive Um, on the surface. You know, if people are taking cheap shots or it's not being constructive or it's being um, like, if it's not in service of solving the issue or reaching understanding, then that in the broadest terms, that is what I think is not healthy conflict or not constructive. Um, But we don't have to agree on everything But if we can, if our goal is to like, let me have some empathy and let me understand where you're coming from. And if I can say something like, oh yeah, I can see how, I can see why you felt that way. Or like, maybe you're right. I'm not saying, yes, absolutely. You're right. I'm terrible. I'm saying, you know what? You might be right. And if I hear things like that, then that tells me like, okay, there's somewhere we can reach a middle ground or we can get some understanding. My goal in relationships, but also as a couples therapist is not to get everybody to agree on everything all the time. But I think at its core, like those things that you mentioned about like breakups and relationships or grades, like, especially with breakups, like what that, it's not just that the relationship ended is that it's hitting some, you know, deep rooted fear. Here's something that I tell people, like you can narrow everything down Okay, I'm going to try something with you. You ready for some free therapy right now? Oh, please. Let's go. Okay. So let's say, <laughs> let's say you are, um, do you play any sports? I play football. Okay. Let's say you're going to play football. And if you win this football game, 
this football match. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> if you win this football game, uh, you win, you know, something that you really, really want. $3 million. Great. Love it. So you really want to win this, right? But the catch is you are going to play against a really good team. So you have to draft your team and you can only choose people from one of two groups. And the first group is some people that you don't know, but they are like football all-stars. They're sharks. You're like, oh my God, each one of these people I know is really good at football, but I don't know them at all. The other group is all your friends and family who are terrible at football. And they're like, whatever, we got you, Leo. We will, we will play as hard as we can. Like, we want you to win this. We're on your team. Like, choose us. And so which group do you choose from? Oh, that, that, that's a tough one. However, I got to go friends and family. And, and why did you choose them? The reason is, uh, you know, I was just having this conversation the other day. The thing that I missed the most about football is the game was fun and that was great. But what the most, the best part of playing sports is the bus ride back. <laughs> if, mm-hmm. Especially if you won. I mean, if you won, there was no better place in the world to be than on the bus after you won a game. And, and sometimes, like if it was a home game, uh, you went out to dinner with your friends and your family or uh, maybe your teammates uh, or your teammates' family, right? Um, mm-hmm. And that was the best time. You know, that's where the laughs were. That's where the jokes were. The the time in the locker room before the game where, Mm -hmm. you know, the sirens are blasting. um, (laughs) (laughs) Where where you're just clowning each other and and everybody's in their pregame prep mode and we're we're sharing war stories from the weekend and blah, blah, blah. And then after the game, the game itself is cool, but it's that before and after that's most important. And so who, who else are you going to clown with? You, if, if you win that game, right, with the, 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 the all-stars, there's, there's, no, um, there's no bonding. There's no, mm-hmm. there's no celebrating. Like, you, you're all going to get in your cars and go your own separate ways. There's not going to be, all right, come to my house. It's like, now you got to tell everybody where you live because they don't know you or, you, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And then $3 million, that I could see... $3 million uh, becoming more of a problem uh, with the family. It's like, I got $3 million, Everybody else is still broke. $3 million really ain't enough mm-hmm. to just be giving everybody a million. You know, so, uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I'd, I'd rather have the story to tell. I, I'd rather have that. Right on. Yeah, the reason I ask that is because, you know, people really struggle with that, and they'll say, well, can't I choose both? And I'm like, no, you either choose friends and family or you choose to more likely to win the game and get your prize that you want. Um, and a lot of times people come up with some creative answers. Well, if, if I choose friends and family and we don't win, then we're all going to be mad and I'm going to be resentful. Or if I do win with this other team, then all my family is going to expect me to like give them my prize or they're going to be mad at me that I didn't choose them. And, you know, people can go on and on about this, but every problem that we have in life boils down to am I accepted and loved or am I competent and for you the most important thing for you is to be accepted and loved and you kind of said that no no question you were like "Mm -mm, I will sacrifice whatever quote-unquote success or checking whatever boxes 
because people in my life are important to me. Um, but some people really struggle with that. And so when we look at exactly what you said, the people who are calling that hotline, it's either relationships or, you know, success or being promoted or getting grades or things like that. Those are the two things that really at their core, it's like, I'm unlovable and I'm abandoned and look, my worst nightmare came true. And this is what's happening to me. Or I'm incompetent. I'm powerless. I'm a failure. I'm never going to be good enough. Um, And I think any problem that anybody has usually falls into one or two of those categories. People try to come at me and be like, what about both? I'm like, if you go deep enough, usually it's one of those. And those crises that people are having and why they're calling that hotline tells you, obviously not in that moment, like in the moment you're just solving the, you know, you're putting the fire out, but it tells you like what is important to that person. Um, And that's where I start in therapy with like, well, how do we enhance this or how do we make sure that need is being met? And for a lot of people, they think that the good grades are going to improve the relationship with their parents or make them lovable or bring them happiness and have somebody want to marry them. But if that's really what you want, then the grades, you know, you said, you were like, I don't even care if I win this. I really need to be with the people. And there's a lot of people chasing that success in hopes of actually making connection with people or vice versa. People think that um, if they just get the right relationship, then they're going to be successful in all these other parts of their lives. And I'm like, well, which one is more important to you? And why don't we start there? That was dope, right? I, I love that. And <laughs> and you, you know what? Because you talked about how people get creative with the answer. I also realized I would have picked the all-star team if the $3 million would save a family member's life. Like if somebody had a medical issue, right? Mm -hmm. So going back to the last episode with Brandy, she had uh, chemotherapy and her bill came to $3 million. Exactly. It was, and so for that reason, I would, I would pick the all-star team if it was to serve a greater good. If I, if I knew exactly if it was going to somebody I, I cared and loved. Um, oh, that's see, that's a good answer. And some of the best answers are people, they'll say like, well, my family and friends will understand they want me to win. So I'm going to go ahead and they won't be mad at me if I don't <laughs> choose them. And I'm like, you have a, you do not need therapy. Good for you. <laughs> that has only happened a few times, <laughs> but you can see when people get creative with it or they don't have to like do any kind of mental gymnastics they're like no my people want me to succeed like they're not going to ask anything from me they would be like you know what good for you go for it um yeah that's a great point because it really is how you think the family or perceive you too right or perceive your actions uh i mean that's that's going to be personal and um uh to to each individual Mm -hmm. the did you wait did you play sports no i didn't play sports (laughs) Uh, no, I only said it like that because you can't tell. But <laughs> I only said it like that because um, you can't tell. But I'm six foot two, so everybody wanted me to play sports, but nah, I didn't. Like, not even close. No. Nope. Okay. Okay. Not even okay. a little bit. I was too busy being a goth music art nerd, like wearing all black and wearing my Marilyn Manson T-shirt, my one that I had over and over, but. I was, I was, I was very thin, very quiet, um, like super tall kid. It was great. Let me tell you being six foot two, it sucks for like the first 20 years. And then it's awesome. 
uh, all right. Oh, yeah, because once you're in the uh, the business world, being a tall woman, that, that just commands a whole other type of presence, respect. So, yeah, business, so. you know, dating, whatever. <laughs> are, you, are you killing it out there, huh? You, you ain't. <laughs> she said dating, whatever. I got that locked down. No. Mm. <laughs> I feel accepted. What? <laughs> I'm wondering if people need to be accepted by me. No, okay, I'll stop. I'm being stupid. <laughs> so, you know, going into relationships, the, the conflict, what are, what, what are you seeing currently? Because we're, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, people love throwing that word around. Um, what do you see people coming to you with the most in terms of the, the conflict in their relationship? And then what's the usual theme of why people are having conflict? in their relationship? Um, well, I'll tell you, I, you know, I've hired quite a few people this year. Like the need for therapy has gone way, way up. And maybe that's obvious, but, um, I mean, a lot of things are obvious now, but at the time, you know, when all this started, we didn't really know how it was going to go, but, um, a lot of couples and relationships are coming to therapy because when you are, staying home either with somebody or you're staying home and that's like your only person, even if you don't live together. Um, people are no longer able to avoid the things that they were able to avoid when there was a lot of going out and events and going out with friends and other things to take up your time. Like everybody's very, we can't, we can't be avoiding things the way we used to. And so a lot of relationship issues um, that may have been there for a long time, but were manageable because I could change a subject or I could, you know, fill my time with other things. Um, those issues are now unavoidable. And so it is a lot of, it's still quite diverse, like the issues that people, um, come to therapy for, but essentially it's like, I want to know, like I said, you know, if you boil it down enough that I want to know, is my partner going to be there for me? Which is, sounds <laughs> like a paradox because it's like, are they going to be there for me? I'm seeing them 24 seven. Like they're right here, but people are feeling, um, you know, it's very, it's, I don't even want to say like, there's so many different things that people come to therapy for, but what we teach people and what we help people practice in therapy sessions is like, how do we have those difficult conversations? Because before you either were having them and they would just turn into like a big fight and you would just stop talking about it, sweep it under the rug. Or you would not even have the conversation and say, everything is fine because I'm going to work and I'm really busy and I'm seeing my friends and I'm going to concerts and those things are off the table now. So now people have these big feelings and these needs that aren't being met and this old shit that is like, I'm still mad about this. And now there's nowhere to look but at these problems. And so what we do is we help people literally just get to the bottom of it. And a lot of what we do is help people learn how to listen listen how to understand instead of listening with like, you know, the mental notepad of like, okay, <clears throat> point one, here's why you were wrong about this. Let me go back to six months ago when you did this. And so people are listening so that they can prove their point rather than listening so that they can understand where their partner's coming from. And why that's so important is because the number one thing I teach people or tell people is, once your partner feels heard, their defenses will go down. Once you can tell them exactly how they're feeling, they'll be like, okay, fine. That's all I was trying to say. God. 
okay, now what? Like, then they want to hear what you're saying. But, and we, we both feel this way. So one person has to go first. Um, like, that's it. How much are you willing to give your partner to get what you want from them? Like, I'm not saying your feelings don't matter. I'm saying, I'm not saying like, oh, just be quiet. Your partner's right. Listen to them. I'm saying is one of us is going to go first. Like, who's it going to be? Um, and they'll see, they'll have that experience of like, they'll do it in session. I'll be like, just listen to what they're saying. Oh my God. It sounds like a TV therapist. I swear it's like more cool than this, but this is like one of my favorite experiences in couples therapy because the minute someone feels like, oh my God, yes, you do get me. You are listening. You don't even have to agree. I just need you to understand me. They just get so relieved. People cry. People just feel like, oh my God, I was terrified. You were never going to get this and you were going to leave me or I was going to have to leave. We were never going to get to the bottom of this, but you get it. And then after that, it's, I'm not going to say it's smooth sailing, but once that kind of, that itch is scratched, then people's defenses come down and they, they're much more likely to listen back to their partner like okay I trust you you get it you don't hate me because of this I'm glad you understand now now I do now I actually care I do want to hear what you have to say because I want this to be over I don't want to keep fighting about this um so that's one of the main things that we work on with people all right so I hear you saying a lot of you know once you are you know naming my emotions and you know reflecting back to me how I'm feeling and I feel like you got me then I'll be able to hear you. But, you know, a lot of us have grown up with a very narrow uh, emotional vocabulary. Like mm-hmm. most people are like my mom, just cool or pissed. And those are the only mm-hmm. two emotions I grew up with. And, you know, as, as, as we know, like our emotions are, are, are much more vast than those two right there. So, I, so I, part of the struggle starts off with even having the vocabulary to express what mm-hmm. it is you think the other person. So how do we even get there? And then is there a script for communicating that? Because I think, I, I think a lot of couples is not that they're not trying to understand or listen or empathize. They just don't know how. And then the other person gets defensive. So how do we expand the emotional vocabulary so that we can identify it? And then how, what was, was there a, a script or things that people usually do wrong when they are trying to empathize, mm-hmm. understand, and listen. Yeah. I mean, what you're talking about emotional literacy, it is something that people can be limited in. And that's the part of our job. That's really just education. That's, that's like, I mean, I do this. I did this with like five-year-olds. Like I would literally show them a picture of a face and be like, what is this a happy person? Like describe this person. And even very young kids, like, um, sometimes have a hard time with that. So those kids grow up into adults who also don't know how to recognize what other people feel are feeling and what they're feeling. So there, there is some amount of like exploring that and educating people. And, you know, they love to say anger is a secondary emotion. And if you're feeling angry or irritated or frustrated or enraged, those are all variations of the same feeling, but underneath it, chances are you're probably feeling nervous or scared or you're feeling ashamed or embarrassed, or you're feeling hurt or rejected, or, you know, there's, it's never just one feeling. And so we do, I would say sometimes even challenge people to say like, don't just say you're fine. Like, tell me really how you're feeling. And we give people a vocabulary for that and help them become more comfortable with it. Um, 
that doesn't usually take very long. And people, once they have the language for it, they're like, okay, fine. Yes. I'm not, I can tell you, yes, I'm, I'm really pissed, but it's because I'm scared that we're never going to solve this. Or I'm scared that secretly I'm not good enough for you or whatever it is. Um, and I don't necessarily give scripts, but I do think that the way people ask questions, <laughs> there's a big difference between, well, don't you think that's what I meant? <laughs> is different from like, help me understand. What did you mean by that? Um, so sometimes when people are feeling a lot of different emotions or they're not even sure why they're upset, um, one thing I will ask and have them get in the habit of asking is like, what's the worst part of this? And when you say, when they're like, okay, fine, if I have to choose one thing that's the worst part about this, it's that you did this without telling me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like that's what you're upset about this whole time we've been talking about. Like, why did you get brown rice instead of white rice? Like, why are we fighting about the chicken? Like people fight, like the stupider the fight is, the deeper the issue is every time. Like I, you should want to do the dishes. Like it's never about that. But if, if I ask somebody or their partner starts asking them, like, what's the worst part about this? Well, the worst part is that I really wanted to have dinner with you and you had dinner on your way home without me. And then we get to like, what is the true issue? Um, so that like, that's one question that I ask a lot or um, another version of that is like, why is this so important to you? And it's, that's a tricky one because sometimes I can sound kind of dismissive and like, why are we even fighting about it? But like, what you're really saying is like, you are asking like, why is this such a big deal? I'm not gonna, I, like a lot of times a partner will be like, are we still fighting about this? Like why? Okay, so I got the wrong kind of light bulbs. Are you like really mad about this? Um, I know I sound like I'm making fun of it, but it's true. Like this, the, sm the more superficial and like small a fight is, the, the deeper and more painful the issue is because people will find any kind of way to get to it. Um, what they're really saying is like, can I trust you? Are you going to leave me? Am I worthy? Am I valuable? Am I lovable? Um, and that is some real shit. That's not about doing the dishes. Um, so I kind of shy away from scripts just because like you said, people have such different um, emotional and literal vocabularies. And I try to like be respectful of how people, every couple has their own language. Right. So um, it's more effective if they're saying it in their own words, rather than that's when, <laughs> that's when it feels like those, those TV therapists where it's like, I am in a shame spiral. Like nobody's going to do that at home. No, they're not going to do that. If they can use their own language and do it, I have the couples talk to each other in the way they talk so that you're more likely to use that when you're at home so that you eventually don't even need to come see me. I love that idea of uh, it comes down to like, will you be there for me? And am I mm -hmm. valuable? Am I mm -hmm. worth it? Because yeah, some, when you, because sometimes me and Michelle get into it about this. Uh, it's like, why did you do it without me? And, and really what she's saying is that, you know, I would have loved to have been there with you um, or that I missed you. Or I love that we, when we do things together, but it, it, I think the why question sometimes comes off as uh, like an attack or like an issue. Mm -hmm. And then it, it puts a defense up. And I, so one night I came home and she was like, where were you? And I was like, where was I? Like, I'm a grown mm -hmm. man. Like, like my whole defense went up. And then I realized, 
on the other side of that, she was saying, I missed you. And so yeah. once we had that conversation, then, you know, it, it, it completely, so it's like, hopefully you're doing the, like, it's why both sides have to do the work, right? Because yes. so you can help the other person decipher what they're saying. And then hopefully in turn, that person can de- decipher what you're saying. And, and that's part of loving each other. Yeah. And when you saw what she was really asking was not even a question. She was just saying, oh, I missed you. I bet you immediately were like, oh, come here. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I, you were coming at me like this. Like, my mom used to ask me that. Like, do not ask me that. But if what she's saying is like, I missed you or I'm worried that I'm not important to you or like the real deep. Michelle, I don't know you. Full disclosure. I'm not trying to talk about you. But uh, the real thing is like, oh no, I'm scared that I'm not important to him. And like, if he can just do this without me, then maybe there's all kinds of stuff he doesn't want to do without me. And maybe I'm not as important to him as I thought. And like, those are the like embarrassing private secret places that our mind goes sometimes without us even knowing it. Um, so if you nip it in the bud and you're just like, well, I missed you. I really want us to have time together. Oh, is that all? We can a hundred percent do that. No problem. And then you don't even have to have the fight. So that's the thing that we've been working the hardest on is um, starting with the emotion of I miss you or I'm afraid that or I'm scared Mm -hmm. of. And it it, it makes us more vulnerable for sure Mm -hmm. uh, to start with like, uh, I'm worried. I'm, I'm scared. I, I, I feel no one likes feel to valuable. feel thirsty and disappointed right. and like sitting like they're waiting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And because I mean, like it goes back to, you know, uh, our society of like, it, it's like, don't be needy, but we just read this book attached and attached is like, everybody's needy. So now I'm like, I need, I need, I need. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have everybody read that book. People love that book. Really? Yeah. It's great. What so I just finished it uh, a couple days ago, and like when you think about a line or two, or like the overall, what really resonates? What's the like? What's the one thing you would want listeners well, who I haven't think it read gives, it to get it? I think it gives people a framework for understanding why they relate to people the way they do, um, and when you can understand it as more than just this is my weird thing. I'm just like this. And you realize, oh, there's a reason for this. And a large part of the community is also like this. Then you're like, oh, okay, this is, you know, a quote unquote normal thing. I'm allowed to be this way. I just have to work around it. I know that I need time after a fight. I actually need to be by myself to process. Or I know that I'm going to be upset until I can talk it through with someone because I just work better that way. Um, It's just like any other quality or trait that somebody has it's just like saying you know what i don't like cilantro just do not put it in my food no one's going to be like well you should you have to everybody else does but we do that with relationships and it's like no this is how i am you don't have to be that way but we do need to find a way to work together Uh, and so are you (laughs) six to uh, okay so i imagine there's a part of your life if it's not getting too personal where you felt objectified early on because of your height and people. No, never. No, really? No, very much so, dude. What are you talking about? (laughs) Have you... (laughs) Growing up as a girl and woman who is freaking taller than everybody, yes, very visible, very objectified, like 
weird. Like people like, what are you? Where's your family from? I grew up in LA and I did not speak Spanish, but I was quote, I was something. And then when people were like, oh my gosh, you're Muslim. What is that? Why are you, you're not covered head to toe? Like, oh my God, everybody had so many opinions on me. So I felt very visible and invisible at the same time. And that's why, that's really why my work now centers around this because, uh, I think when I stopped trying to fit into everybody else's expectations of me, which were many, um, I was like, oh, wait, I can just do me. And that's when, you know, I really hit the ground running and I was like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is great. I'm claiming who I am. I don't need to, of course, I care about people and the people who are close to me. And I do want to like, you know, relationships are important to me and I want to make people happy, but that's not what defines me. Um, but for a long time, it a hundred percent surely was. Um, and yeah, you can get so caught up, especially growing up. Like, again, if people are like, what are you? No, you're not that you're this, or like, you shouldn't be this, or I don't know what this is. So I'm just going to like, think you're weird, which is probably why I got super weird and was like, you know, me and my little queer friends were like, (laughs) Uh, junior high is like the best time by the way but anyways yeah I think <laughs> I think that's like a whole other episode can we please talk about it um I think like going through that process uh, and on top of that having you know a lot of trauma of my own and having anxiety and depression um, and things that you know I didn't have the language for I think once I got once I understood what that was Um, I had no choice but to be a therapist. And fun fact, my mom was a therapist uh, when I was growing up. So that's cool. I'm sensing uh, sarcasm with that last statement. Um, No, no, no sarcasm. My mom's great. Um, She, I lost my mom uh, seven years ago. Um, And she was a lawyer. She went to law school. And then she went to therapy school. So my family is, I'm slumming it because I only have a master's degree. My dad has two PhDs. My mom had two professional degrees. And I was like, I went to my master's graduation and my dad came and he was like, wait, this isn't your PhD. And I was like, what did you think I've been doing for the past two years? Oh my God. Way to like be proud of me and also cut me down in the same (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but we're cool we're cool i'm i'm teasing but yes he did really say <laughs> oh that that it hurt. like you know growing up we are always taught like curse words and how bad those are but it's never the curse words that hurt that much it's always the 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 subtle uh invalidating mm-hmm. remarks i i there's a there's a thing called the five peak challenge here in san diego where people hike um, all five peaks and then you get a medal after mm-hmm. you've done them all. And I, I called one of my buddies. I was like, I hiked all five peaks. It took me like a week to do mm-hmm. it. Um, and, he, and the first thing he said was, in one day. And I was like... Wow. And I was yeah. like, oh my God. Like my shoulders just shrugged. The phone dropped. And I was just like, are you, are you kidding? Like, do you even know what it took to to do it in a week, in a day. You want me to do it in a day? And uh, <laughs> and it just, it completely demoralized me. And, but I, but it also, 
it also ignited me to do them all in one day. I was like, no, all right, I got, yeah, I did them all in one day. I, I, I mean, my, my life was definitely on the line, but, uh, that, you know, that, that feeling of inadequacy is a, is a, is a, is a, is a, is a, is like a, it's a strange, it's like an amoeba where mm-hmm. it can both empower and embolden you and also, you know, put you in harm's way. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then you went back and told him and he was like, oh, okay, cool. I don't care. You're right, right. He didn't even care. He's like, that. I haven't done any of them. Good for you. Whatever. And you're like, oh, okay, oh. so this was all in my head. Like, it's true. Those things can uh, demoralize you and they can motivate you. And I like so many people will say, like, I'm glad I went through this hardship. If I hadn't gone through this, I wouldn't be as determined as I am now or as empathetic as I am now. Or I wouldn't care about people who've been through the same thing. That's That's the way I look at it, too. Like, the things that I've gone through help me uh understand that experience more it's actually a benefit and so even the worst things that we've been through there is some sort of benefit um i'm not saying like i'm glad that i went through those things but uh i think the key is if i'm doing if i use that to motivate me for my own reasons i'm winning and like you could have been really proud you'd be like yeah i did do those in one day and i don't even need to tell anybody but i'm just like proud of myself and glad that i did it it was important for me to do it for whatever reason. But if I'm doing it just so that I can get that validation from someone, I'm always going to be chasing it. Now, so you bring up a good point. And I, I think that's where the imposter syndrome uh, is, uh, is rooted in some of that. Because as a kid, you know, I would tell my, my mom or someone about an accomplishment, and they would just kind of be like, oh, whatever. Did you do it in one day? And so I, I remember as a kid, telling myself I would never tell people about my accomplishments anymore. I would just do it. And if they, if they saw it or heard about it and they came to me about it, then so be it. But I was like, but it just hurt too much when uh, mm-hmm. I just had this very invalidating experience. And I was like, what? And I was like, all right, I'm, I'm never sharing this again because that was too painful. Yeah. But, See, but of course you need you to be in my inner circle because we just will like gas each other up and we all want to hear, we want to hear about all the peaks in all the days at all times. I know we're, we're only here for the peaks, right? That, that's, it's like, uh, I had a friend, she was like, I'm going to get rid of anybody who is not bringing me to my highest self. And I was like, but you need your lower self. Like that's what makes uh, yes. uh, mountain ranges, you know, the peaks and the valleys. You can't have a mountain without a Without a, without yes, but people part. bring you people bring you to your higher self in all kinds of ways. And some of the worst things I went through this year, like taught me lessons that I've been trying to learn for a really long time. And I'm glad that those things happened because otherwise I would have been trying to figure this out. I've been trying to do it the easy way, which never works. Um, and I think like there's so like, it's so valuable to have people construct. That's why I say like conflicts can be very constructive and surprises and disappointments and all those things can be really helpful. Yeah. You, you talked about, I had Kamal Ravikant on, uh, he's a very accomplished entrepreneur, CEO, hedge fund investor, et cetera, et cetera. He's in the military, just an all around, uh, you know, just cool guy. And, and I asked him what his biggest challenge was in a relationship. And he said, um, losing himself in the other person. And oh wow. 
And I, I was I was completely shocked because you just seemed to be a, a guy who um, was self-contained and, and didn't get lost uh, mm-hmm. in a moment. And so when, and I realized like a, a lot of people struggle with that. Like we, we talk so much about setting boundaries and but we also talk about giving of yourself. Mm-hmm. How do we what's the how do you help people navigate that? Like I want to be there for you, but I don't want to overextend myself which is challenging. Yeah, I think, you know, there's that thing that people love to say, like, get, pour from a, you can't pour from an empty cup and give of your overflow. And like, I don't know who's running around with all this overflow, but anyways, I do think like, if you, if you don't, if you wouldn't give it for free, don't give it. If it's going to cost you something and you are going to be nickel and diming, and I don't mean this, well, I do mean it literally, but also emotionally, if it's going to cost you if you're going to be resentful or if you are going to be keeping tabs, uh, don't give it. And that's like the most basic way that I can explain boundaries. Like if you are giving in order to get something in return or you are hoping like, well, if I do this, then maybe they'll start. They are never going to start doing that. But if you're giving from a place of, you know what, this is important to me and it means a lot to me and I would be happy to do this because I care about this person they'll get me back whenever or they get me back all the time and I really appreciate those things, then then you're good. That's like the simplest way I can give boundaries. There's no hard and fast rule of like, we're not keeping track of things. Um, now there's a lot of things you can do to get to that place. Um, but I feel like that's going to be our next episode. Yeah, for sure. Um, Sarah, is there a last question I want to ask? Cause I feel like, um, there's always, I feel like there's always one person listening in who is on the precipice of ending their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them? I'm listening. Talk to me. That's what I would say. There's always somebody listening. I love that. Thank you so much, Sarah. Tell people where they can find you really quickly. I know you got to go. Um, yeah, they can find me on Instagram at Prospect Therapy or go to our website, which is prospecttherapy.com. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, listeners, for tuning in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help or calling the 1 800 SUICIDE or 1 800 273 TALK or the international numbers. If you're in Afghanistan or Pakistan or Sri Lanka, there are numbers. Uh, let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you.